Welcome, Supers, back to another Shark Tank Tank Tales interview. I have a, a how long have we been? We've already been talking for like 40 minutes before we even started recording this. That's how well this interview is going, and you're just getting to join us now. So <laughs> I need you, whatever you're doing, stop and start giving some super claps. Whatever, whatever you are doing, watching, listening right now, give those super claps to the founder creator of Pulp Pantry, who was on Shark Tank. Just this past season, episode 23 of season 13. Give it up for Super Caitlin. Woo! I'll give myself a little clap. Why not? Woo! It's totally deserved. Well deserved. <laughs> it was a lot to go through, okay? Just kidding. Oh, of course. Oh, don't say it was easy. Don't be so modest. Come on now. <laughs> it was, you know, in reality, so much fun. And that's why, I mean, people were sending me your episode and I was like, yeah, we need it. We need to chat with this guy. He knows he knows all about the tales of Shark Tank. And I mean, you know, that experience was just it was a bucket list. It for me, it was really a bucket list item. So I'm happy to be here and, and to chat with you and rehash it all. Cause sometimes you're like, wait, I'm back to normal life. Wait, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've heard the story of people blacking out, like going in into oh the tank God. and then coming out and being like, yeah. I, I, I'm not quite sure what happened, um, you know, through all of this. And, and, you know, then we have to have the reminder of the actual episode, but the episode is only eight minutes of the hour, sometimes hour plus that people are actually in there. Uh, so it's, yeah, the whirlwind is, is, a, it's a, it's a long process. So we're going to talk about all of that. So first, Caitlin, what was your relationship with the show prior to getting to be on, you know, a part of the show? You know, it was like every single, I would say every time there was a, let's say it was Thanksgiving, it was Christmas, whatever the holiday, like we would be piled up watching reruns of Shark Tank at home. And so um, for me, it's been, it's always been something that, you know, watching that show it brings back like all those nostalgic memories. And, and honestly, like when it became an opportunity, I was like, this is definitely a bucket list item for me. Like, this is something that I grew up watching. Like I want to, I need to make that happen. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I was just, as soon as I got the opportunity and I knew like, this was the last year I really wanted to do it. Um, I was like, yeah, we're doing it this year. This is the time to go. So I'm, I'm so happy it actually went through and, and aired. Cause as you know, sometimes you don't even know if it's going to air. You might go through the whole process and, never actually see your episode um, air on TV and it just goes out into the ether. So that was like, and being towards the end of the season, I was like, Oh my gosh, is it going to happen? You know? And so that was, that was just, it was, it was absolutely epic to, to have it go through. And, and um, actually the day before my birthday, my birthday was May 7th and our episode aired on May 6th. So that was a pretty, pretty Aww. sweet year for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. That's that is it. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, and, and, you know, getting to and to know that like three weeks ahead of time to know that like, mm -hmm. oh, it is going to happen and it is going to be, you know, right about my birthday uh, is it definitely makes it an extra like special time uh, for you and, and a, a memory yeah. that will probably get to stick around even longer uh, oh because yes. of that, you know, attachment to that date. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, even it was, it was crazy because it's like, I already had family coming out to, to visit my, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird weekend for me. It's like, it was May 6th. Obviously we, we aired on Shark Tank. May 7th was my birthday. And then May 8th was my mom's birthday. So it was kind of, it was very special. It was like, we just had, we had a little hang and, um, you know, had friends over to watch and all that. So it definitely was, it definitely was a, a good night. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, we'll get more into that. Yeah. Um, and the fact that I, I appreciate anybody who uh, sends the videos that I create to the people who actually are they're about. I should be pointing in this direction. Yeah. Uh, it, it is is greatly appreciated. So thank you uh, all for for doing that. Whoever you know those people are. I it's funny. I actually think um, a lot of the people that I've made videos about probably know about those videos. It's just a matter of whether or not they've reached out. Uh, and yeah. not because they've Googled themselves, but probably because other people have watched it or Googled it and, uh, and reached out to them, which is, which is kind of neat. Like, I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's, it's kind of special because especially, especially because I have yet to get negative feedback on any of those videos. So from, from I the mean, people they're about. <laughs> it's, it's so nerve wracking. Cause you know, before your episode airs, you don't even know what, like, how are they going to chop it up? How are you going to be portrayed? Like, there's just so many question mark so it can be really nerve-wracking and I feel like I can you know if you didn't I mean whether like you got a good edit or a or a bad edit so to speak like I mean no press is bad press at the end of the day and I think everyone has a story to tell and, and something that's going to resonate with the audience no matter you know how the episode was portrayed but I think I could I could see that for a lot of people it's like a it could be like a traumatic thing to be like oh my god I was on national tv and I said this and what you know you you can't it, it's Sometimes it would, I, I can see where it's like, you don't want to have to rehash. You're like, okay, I did it. Ripped the bandaid off. We were, we were on Shark Tank. Now let's, let's leave it at that. No more, no more interviews or talking about it or whatever. But I mean, I was, I, we obviously had a great time. And so I, I'm, I'm happy to like, I'm like, yeah, let's rehash it. Let's go, let's go back in time. I love it. I love it. So let's go back to uh, how did you end up getting to, to be on Shark Tank? Did you apply or did they reach out to you? So I, back in like 20, I want to say it was 2019 or 2018, I was at an event and there were, I, I met a couple of the casting directors there and it was like a, it was a very like food, um, beverage and beauty focused event um, for consumer brands. And yeah, they were, they were there and, you know, we ended up chatting and um, I know after meeting them, they sent me the application. They were like, you should definitely apply uh, here's like the, the process and the details. But at that point I didn't even really have a product. Like I, I was kind of just playing around with this concept. And so, um, it, it wasn't until really this year that I was like, okay, we're, you know, we actually have retailers that we're working with that I would love to, to highlight. Like this is a concept that, you know, with sustainability and even up the word upcycling becoming more of a well-known, it's still not very known. Right. But I was like, it's becoming more well-known and it definitely deserves a platform. So it just felt like this was the year where, uh, those like, whether it was the trends coming together, where the business was, cause obviously like it can, it can be rough if you go into shark tank too early. Um, it, but it can also be equally as rough if you go in too late and you've already raised money and whatnot. So it was like the perfect timing for us where it was just, you know, we've, we've had some traction, we haven't raised outside capital. Like, you know, there were, there were just a couple things where I was like, this is ultimately just my decision to go on. Like no one else can, no one else is telling me like whether I can or can't. So um, I think it, it gets harder as you, you know, you have other partners in the business and whatnot. And um, uh, so it was good timing for us this year. <laughs> but I remember I reached back out and I said, Hey, what's the cast? I mean, it's, it's COVID. Like I know things have probably really changed with how casting is run and, um, but it was, it was January of this past year. And that's really when the casting begins for that next season. So, um, it was January of 2021, right. And then you, you end up airing in 2022, which is just, it's wild how, how long the whole process takes, but 
yeah, so I I had reached out in January on a fluke. I didn't know when the casting season started. I was just like, hey, what's the casting process like this year? I feel like this is our year to do it. And um, my casting director was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to reach out because we literally just started the process. Like you couldn't have better timing. So it was really good. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I think that that speaks to, um, you know, figuring out what, what looks like the best time for you and then actually like acting upon it and not waiting around for somebody to, uh, to, to do it and putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Right. Like yeah. you could have just easily not have been that thing. Maybe you got sick that night, didn't go to that party, you know, or they, they, they got sick and they just, or, or like, eh, you know, we, we heard something, then we're not, we're just not going to go. You know, yeah. Maybe it's not as big of a deal and, and they just don't go. You just don't know. So you got to put yourself in the position uh, at all times to be, and I'm <laughs> thinking about an, an opportunity that's coming up next weekend that I probably need to go to, even though I'm like, eh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's so easy. Oh my gosh, especially after after COVID when we were used to just being like, we're just all hanging in our little bubble. It's so hard to get back out there. But I mean, yeah, with things like, I mean, meeting the casting directors of, of Shark Tank, like if I had applied that year, like it would have, it would have never gone through. They've been like, you don't, what's going on here? You know, this is what, where are you at in the process? So um, it's just timing is everything. And I think, you know, with, with all of those connections you make, it's like, it's playing the long game because at the end of the day, it's the timing might not always be perfect, but it's like, there's, there's going to be an open door at some point. So I, I definitely am happy. I held on to their contact info. And I think, you know, just even having like the past, um, the past relationship that can always, you know, go a really long way too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Cause people, uh, especially them, um, cause it seems like from what I, my understanding is that they have some of the best people in the, in the world slash industry working on the show and that actually care. Um, cause I've, I've, uh, who yeah. was it? I was, I was interviewing somebody and they said, oh, you know, I had applied, uh, like two years earlier or something like that. And they actually remembered me, you know, one of the people actually remembered me yeah. from back then. So like, that's what happens when you get high quality people who actually care about the thing that they're doing yeah. that would actually remember because they're looking, you know, sitting through what, 30, 40,000 applications a year, yeah. you know, the odds of remembering something is, you know, t it's tough. It's, yeah. it's tough. I mean, with all things, it's like, it's like college admissions and whatever. It's like, we're all, you know, making that personal connection and finding like, I mean, job references. It's the same thing, right? It's like, you just got to, you got to find that one person who's going to really vouch for you and kind of fight for you to the end and push you through and highlight your application and whatnot. So, I mean, obviously these people are super busy and they can't, they can't be there for every single person, but it's fun. Cause I was looking, I was even like reading about the casting events that they do, you know, that's such a good, that's such a good way to be in person. I, I, I didn't go through a casting event, but I'm like, that would have been an amazing way if you hadn't, you know, met someone at an event, like just to, to go have a person to person interaction and, you know, hopefully build um, a story that resonates with someone so that there is kind of that, a little bit of that handholding and whatnot through the process. So it's, but there's no, I have no, tr I have no tricks. I'm like, you know, it just <laughs> like at every step of the way, you really are questioning, is this going to happen? Like even at past the casting, like, am I going to make it to, you know, working with some producers to, to get my segment ready? Like, am I going to make it to film? Am I going to make it to air? And at every step of the way, it feels like, you know, there's, there's a chance that you drop off in the process. So, um, it's, it's just like, it's, it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> Realistically, <laughs> roller coaster ride. 
It is. So speaking to that roller coaster ride, how did you go about balancing uh, your your growing business at the same time as trying to prepare for Shark Tank, prepare your pitch, and prepare like and and manage to have a life in the process? Well, it's a lot for sure. Like, there's no you know you and obviously like if it's something you really want, you're going to put in your, your all to make sure that you're putting the best pitch forward, that you're really like showing up to do your homework for at each step of the way and showing that you're going to be prepared and that you're, you know, you're going to follow through with um, the things that you say you're going to follow through with. So it was a lot of work. And I, I mean, I, I think I dedicated a lot of weekend time to, to some of the prep work and some of the homework, because, you know, for me, that was like, all right, you know, I don't, this is, this is something that's also like for, um, it requires a little bit of creativity and whatnot. So it can be, it can be challenging to balance that with just like your regular kind of being in the dirty in the details of the business and then being like, now I have to step out and I have to, you know, think more high level about how do I want to convey my story or my message and, and whatnot. So I thought, you know, weekends really were the best time for me to get or, or nights even like just to get a little bit of that. Okay. I'm stepping out of the day-to-day, you know, operations of the business. And now I get to, to kind of think, um, back to like the inspiration of what even got me here in the first place. So it was actually fun. I think that that's the biggest thing. Like you, I mean, you, you know, this as a, as a business builder yourself, it's like, you start with this crazy, like just energy about what you're doing. You're so excited to, to build something. It's, it's in the idea phase. So really the sky is the limit. Right. And then you get into the dirty details and the day-to-day operations. And, you know, you can start to lose sight of really what that initial like inspiration and and obviously like every day being an entrepreneur, it's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like there's a lot of really, really hard days and a lot of days where you're like, Oh my God, do I, can I even like keep this going further, you know, and, and take this to the next step. So that was, I think going through the shark tank process actually helped me connect back to my purpose. And so I feel really grateful for just the fact that like having a platform where I knew, Hey, this is an amazing way to get my story out there. I mean, there's no better way to kind of reconnect to why did I even, why, how did I even get here in the first place? And like, why am I doing what I'm doing? So it actually was really, I think a beneficial process to reinstill that energy back into my business. And during a time in COVID when things were really hard and it was hard to shut off and stop working because at the end of the day, it's like not, there wasn't as much going on or as much socializing or whatever else. Um, So yeah, it was, I I feel really lucky that, you know, we, we were able to kind of, use that time to to build towards um ultimately airing on shark tank yeah you know i i think that um that part is so important being able to um refocus and and come back to like why am i doing what i'm doing uh why is this important uh and and important to myself as well as the people and to other people um because being able able to do that and it can enable you to have better insight into your customer base, right? Better yeah. insight into your team, like, and keeping them motivated, right? And your team, you know, when I say team, it could be, you know, even just people you're working with, like remotely virtual assistants or uh, any, you know, any, anybody that maybe even be associated with the company that you might consider as part of your team. Like, look, big companies, they have, um, they have boards, right? And those people on boards, are, you know, might be CEOs at other companies, mm-hmm. right? And, and things of that nature. So they're still part of the team, even though they're not actually like in the day-to-day grind uh, uh, with you on on it. And I think being able to refocus on uh, the, the big picture um, and help guide it. Because I mean, as the 
you know, as the CEO and putting that in air quotes or anybody listening, sometimes it's, you know, and, and, but at the same time, also working in the business, uh, yeah. it enables us to not, you know, to be too close to not be able to work on the business, mm-hmm. uh, and, and really help ourselves like stay, you know, keep our head in the game at the same time. Cause there's always so many outside influences and things. And, uh, I think that that's one of the things that can get really, like, I, I know that, uh, for myself, like being, being able, if you, you know, having the opportunity to go on Shark Tank, uh, you got to be able to balance that and, and not allow it to take away from what you have going on as well, because like it can, it's easy to get obsessed with, right? It's the shiny new toy. It's kind of like, I'm going to update my website. Ah, that'll just be like, you know, 30 minutes or something like that. And it's like eight hours later, you're still like, does this button go here? Should I put it over here? Do it. What should I do? What should I do with it? You know, um, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where that show can it can have such a massive impact like you at what point are you ever going to have that many eyeballs you know it's like it, at this early stage because i mean obviously you know i mean it's no it's no secret what, what the size of the business is after watching the show and it's like to have that many eyeballs on what you're doing and to be able to like share your mission and vision and the products and everything with so many millions of americans i mean that's such a privilege and an honor that um, people have to work, you know, over a decade to even make that kind of impact. So it, it's, it was really, that was really crazy. Like it is just a little bit of jet fuel on, on kind of like, on, um, you know, what you're building towards and such an absolute, like such an absolute honor to even be able to, you know, have that platform to stand on. So I, I really think, you know, it's worth, it's like, that's the hard balance. Cause you're as an entrepreneur going through it, you're like, I want to put everything into this because, I know the impact that I can have on my business. And we hear, you know, the legendary Shark Tank tales of businesses that, you know, years ago, like just blew up overnight after after Shark Tank. And I think it's not always, it's not the end all be all. And it's definitely just, you know, it can be a drop in the bucket along along the long journey and a long path, but it really does have, um, you know, a lot of staying power for, for entrepreneurs. And I think just celebrating the fact that, especially, I, I mean, I, I get really excited to see these, homegrown businesses that again, it's like, especially when you haven't raised outside capital and just to show like what is actually possible, because I think for a lot of people, entrepreneurship still does feel somewhat inaccessible, but this show has made it more and more accessible for more entrepreneurs to see themselves and somebody else on the screen and say, they did it. Like, why can't I, you know? So I think, I think, um, there were so many like different emotional factors behind even why you're just like, I want to put my all into the show because it does have such such power for um, not only my business, but also hopefully for just people like me who who need to see someone else um, that made it happen and, and just to see kind of that that role model. Not, I mean, yeah, role model or just like a, you know, a, another story that they can resonate with. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, you know, Shark Tank has enabled so many people to even see it as an opportunity because they, you know, other people's are doing it right. And they get the call, they go on the show. And I, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I much prefer seeing the people who haven't raised a bunch of money um, and or burning said money with the hopes that like, okay, we're going to burn our way out of the the hole that we're like essentially digging ourselves into. Um, And, and cause I mean that to me, like it, it, it does drive me nuts. I'm, I'm very much a stickler as a, as a, a business, you know, optimization, nut. Uh, it, it drives me crazy that like that much money can be burned. And I get that there's certain business businesses that make that it makes sense for, 
but those but i think that when you have those businesses um the it has to be the plan like it has to actually be the the plan it's not like oh well the plan is to actually make money like no the plan is to be acquired like and you yeah. have to be very dead sell on that so you have to make sure that everything else is immaculate and you have like a big user base you have a big customer base and you're just like that part is just growing and growing at an exponential rate that you know it actually it becomes viable for somebody else to buy you at that point because you're there's a key component there like you have to be able to have somebody that actually has the money and the interest and uh you have to have your books ready and everything has to be going the right way in order for that to work and that's yeah. why so few of those you know app companies and like uh food companies that want to like oh we'll just you know let's just get ourselves out there and everything will be fine um it, you know it, it it's it's not necessarily going to to that's not an easy path right no. even giving something away for free because at that point you're devaluing what you actually are bringing to the table um and it's something that i i feel like uh, we see that story a lot where it's like they don't necessarily they're not necessarily seeing the whole picture just the well if we get like you know half a million users we're going to be so worth it and it's like mm -hmm. well yeah if, if you're not burning millions and millions and millions but like there's no end in sight of the money at you know starting to to you know raise the tide on the on the boat you know ship it uh say or the boat being able to ri raise itself out of the sinking water around it yeah and that's if the that hard thing no and the i mean with shark tank it's like you're obviously giving up a really good chunk of equity usually it's <laughs> for or um you know for what you're asking and i think it's just but at the same time it's like there's there's definitely um it's again it's just like you want to bring the best partners into the business and I think for us, like, too, it's just whether or not there was a deal, like just knowing that, you know, this is just one more way that I'm getting acquiring those new users or telling people about what I'm doing. And hey, like, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of hours. And of course, like you can put a value on on how many hours you spend preparing for Shark Tank. But at the end of the day, it's like it was like a free it's like free marketing in a little in, in, a, in a big way. So um, I felt like I was I was like, you know, this is like a worthwhile investment, especially for a consumer brand that that really requires that storytelling piece and that marketing element in order to get the word out and, and get people excited about what you're doing. So um, but yeah, it's 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 I mean, the whole like strategy of to raise money, to not to raise money. Like, I mean, it's it's really hard, I think, especially in the consumer brand space to um, to build it without like, you know, having some some capital involved, given that we have we need capital to produce the goods we need. You know, we need we need to build up inventory and the cash flow cycles can be really challenging. So, um, you know, I reached a point in my journey. And this is something like I, I wrote about a little bit in my, in the, our blog too, where this year really felt like the, the year for us, because I felt like I was finally ready. To, I had proven enough traction and, you know, built enough retail doors where I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually ready to raise capital because I want to build a team around this. And I've seen that there's huge potential and there's buy-in from retailers, there's buy-in from distributors. Like people are excited about what we're doing, but um, you know, I'm only one person and I have a, an amazing sales coordinator who I work with too. And, and I mean, we're like, we are being scrappy as ever, but to really get to, to fulfill the mission and vision that we have, like we need really talented people on board and we need to, you know, we need to be able to grow the, I guess, you know, grow kind of the, the potential of what we're doing. Cause there is massive potential out there. So that was really my, that was kind of my call to action with Shark Tank. I was like, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's, let's do this. Let's, you know, we're going to come out there and like with the intention of like, yeah, we will, 
you know, if we get a deal, like hopefully it's with an entrepreneur that or a, a shark that we really believe can can be make a fundamental difference in the business and be an amazing long-term partner. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of the excitement behind going on there. I was like, if I'm going to raise money, I'm going to go on Shark Tank. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it, yeah, it, uh, it, it is. And plus the, the re um, the replayability value, right? Like every, yeah. that's one of the things, um, you know, getting the reruns that I, I feel like maybe underestimated. Cause I, I know I, I've said this in the past, but like, I, to in my eyes like getting the deal on tv is sometimes more important because of the than like actually the deal ultimately going through or whatever because yeah people don't see yeah. that part they see yeah. oh there's the replay of that time that you know that person that had this really neat uh, far out idea that like and they got and they got a deal right um yeah. not that you should sell yourself short in order to make it or whatever you know there, there's certain limitations i would like put some asterisks at the end of that but um, you know, I, I think that it, it, acting in good faith to, to do what you can to get a deal done is so important from, from a marketing standpoint, from a, you know, rerun standpoint, from a, uh, you know, every, I think the, the whole experience, uh, standpoint, you know, tends to go in a, in a better direction at that point. Again, totally. it doesn't mean that's going to actually come through, come true. A lot of them yeah. don't come, come to fruition, but. Before we get into how you, you know, how you were feeling walking down the hallway and all that, I want to talk, how did you come up with the 500,000 for 10%? Like, what was your, your thinking behind that? <laughs> I knew I was, I was like, and I think even like our, I think my producers and stuff were like, um, that's a, first of all, it's a lot of money to ask for. Secondly, that's a high valuation. Like they might be pissed off by that. And I was like, you know what? That's what I need. That's what I'm going to ask for. So, um, and I knew like, obviously, you know, going into it, it's like, you're going to, your equity is going to be pretty rich like the equity ask. And so I was like, if, if the equity is going to be rich, I got to, you know, I got to ask for uh, an amount of money that I think can actually make a difference in the, in the business. So for me, that was that 500 number um, was, you know, I felt like that was, that was enough to do a couple of the things that I really felt like I wanted to do with, with the, with the money and, and to help get us to that next phase and team build and all that good stuff. So, um, so that was the reason behind the 500. And then the 10%, I mean, realistically, I just felt like what it, it's so much of an art and a science, right? Like, cause you can talk about multiples on revenue and whatever else. But for me, it was like, as, as the founder and the, the person that like, you know, is going up there saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give up a portion of equity in my company. Like what, um, you know, what feels comfortable to me too. So that was a big part of the equation was just like knowing that you're going to, they're going to bump up whatever you're asking is not going to be you know, the final, <laughs> the final number. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely like, I know Mr. Wonderful had some pushback on, on the, uh, which I, I knew was, was coming, but um, we definitely looked at just like, what are multiples in the industry? Like what are comparables that we can, you know, that we can kind of stand behind and what's the overall value of like, you know, the, if we think about the upcycled food industry um, what's kind of the overall market size and kind of the, the, the chunk that we feel is uh, what we can, we can bite off at this stage. And so I felt like 5 million, we, we backed into that and I was like, yeah, that, that feels, it feels right. And it feels like an aggressive enough ask where, um, you know, where I know that it's going to be negotiated downwards a bit, but no, it was, I think at the end of the day, like, I'm happy we did that because, you know, obviously it didn't, it didn't make anyone run away and be like, you're completely unrealistic, but obviously there was some healthy pushback and, and negotiation that had to go on. 
Well, okay. So I, I, I think the key takeaway there is, is knowing the number that you need. So, because we, and we've seen it so many times of saying, yeah, you came in asking for like $150,000. Cause that's where you're at. But like, that's not, that's nothing. <laughs> that's not yeah. going to be enough that's to get you to where, what you want to accomplish yeah. with it, especially in, I mean, even at 500,000, like realistically is a drop in the, you know, dropping a bucket yeah. Uh, yeah. for, for where the amount of money that it takes to grow into, into those retail spaces. Um, Cause you gotta, you know, grease the wheels and, and things along the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so as, as they say, so. But that's uh, the hard I, thing though, is like, you're balancing also, like these are individual investors, like they're, you know, they're investing and it's not like a, it's not a fund or whatever else. I mean, so that's another thing is that he goes into the equation. It's like, yeah, maybe I want to raise a million, but is that realistic for, you know, me to go on Shark Tank and ask these, these individual sharks to fund my business with a million, like it just, and you would be kind of banking on having a couple sharks probably get on board at that point. And that's not ever guaranteed. So I felt like 500 was kind of the cap of like, <laughs> like make them sweat a little bit, but you know, just, <laughs> but it's still attainable. Yeah. I think by coming in at, at 10% versus like you walking in at five or, or yeah. below, I think that, I think that that to me says, says a lot. And then also it, it comes back to like, what do you counter with and, and, and all that. And let, we'll get into that. But, but first let's, let's talk. So how you're walking down the hallway. How are you, how are you feeling? So I, it was so weird because the day of like, you know, you have a couple hours or you're kill, like, you have a couple hours to kill and you're going through whatever, like hair and makeup and whatever. And it's just, it was really interesting because, um, I wasn't nervous. Like, and I didn't, I, you know, we had, I'd done a lot to prepare for that point, but then the day of, I like really didn't touch my materials. I didn't want to like freak myself out or anything like that. And so I just tried to be very calm and, you know, listen to music or whatever. And it just was really interesting because I was like, I'm not nervous. I was like pinching myself. I was like, you're, you're on set. You're going to go <laughs> into like into the tank. Like, why is this? Um, but I was very calm. And then it was so funny because as soon as like, you know, it kind of all happens super quickly. It's a very slow process. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, and I, now I'm going into the tank. And so um, that part felt like kind of rushed. And that's when I finally was like, oh yeah, I'm nervous now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on the floor. Like I'm about to walk on the, you know, down the aisle and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. So um, that's when I started like freaking out a little bit. I think I was talking to some guy though. He helped, he helped me just like having a normal conversation. I was like, okay, this is fine. This is normal. Everything's great. <laughs> Everything's great. And then you walk down and you're in front of the sharks and it's just like, I mean, it was, I definitely blacked out. Like what you were, you were experienced with other entrepreneurs experience where they are like, I don't even remember. I mean, literally the first, like my whole pitch, I, I couldn't tell you before it aired if I had stumbled on words or like messed up my pitch. Cause I just could not remember what actually happened as I was pitching. And then the first two questions, I think I was just like still in shock. I was like, Oh my God, I'm here. The sharks are asking me questions. Like I'm talking to them. They're right in front of me. It was just so surreal. Um, and then probably after those, those two questions, I like blacked back in and I was like, wait a minute, this is happening. We're, we're good. Like it's, and it, I think it also, I could tell that things were at least after the first two questions, like, and of course, you know, you hear the horror stories or you watch past episodes. Like I tried not to watch too many episodes before going in there, but I wanted to be prepared also. So I was like, what questions are they asking and whatnot? And yeah, you see some that like can really derail the process and the pitch and like get you off track of what you're, you know, what you're trying to convey. And so, um, 
there's like a certain nervousness that you, a healthy nervousness that you do have to have about that. Cause you have to be, be prepared. But, um, at the end, I, I, just after the first two questions, I was like, okay, this is going well overall. Like, I think that they're into this idea overall. I feel like, you know, they're, they're kind of coming from a pot, like a positive place where they're just curious and interested. So I eased into it more. And I, I felt like, um, I just had so much fun in there. It was really like, it was really a good time and a, a good experience. Well, that, I mean, that, I mean, not, per, um, not watching too much, I think is important. I mean, I've had people that have been on the show that watch this channel, uh, a lot to prepare for their, for uh, their shark tank pitch, uh, which is, which is awesome and super honored. Um, but I think that there is something to be said for not over preparing and not, um, because you, you, you know, you just don't know where they're at. Everything is in the, everything we're watching is in the past, right? Like your episode came out and uh what in may, may right yeah and and you recorded it what in september mm-hmm. yeah so like yeah. even just in that period of time their lives have changed you're you know yeah. every everything has changed since then you don't know you know what businesses have they invested in since then or what have they invested in that they never even talked about uh on you know on the show or has never or, or they talked about it but then it got cut like left on the cutting room floor yeah. um and things like that so so there's like there's a a fine balance there of like questions and things like that that i think really um you have to you have to balance uh not over preparing because just and just because somebody else had something similar doesn't necessarily mean they're going to see it the same way when they see you yeah. right with the same questions yeah. So you got to keep keep that in mind. So, um, did you have a shark in mind that you were thinking you wanted to to do a deal with before you ever walked into the tank? Totally, because I was like, I mean, for me, I just looked at who's really like making moves in the food and beverage space because obviously that's going to be where you know you're going to have connections to other peer entrepreneurs that maybe are a couple steps ahead of you that have went through the process a couple years ago. Um, and I talked to a lot of brands that that did end up making a deal with Mark Cuban before, you know, before going on the show and everyone just had such positive things to say about, you know, working with his team and actually like that there are resources involved, right? Like, yeah, but you know, it's not just, it's not just um, dealing with a couple people. It's like, they're really like, Hey, I, I come to come to Mark and I have a couple things I need help with. And he's got a couple people who can be kind of the experts on that subject matter. So I felt like that was a really good, um, that was a good sign. Cause again, it was like, yeah, if you're giving up a bunch of equity in your company, like you do want someone that's going to be involved and it's not just going to be the show. And then bye, see ya. Like <laughs> nice work, but you know, you, so yeah, that was, um, he was definitely a big one. And then I really loved Emma greed. Like I just, just reading more of her story and the businesses she's involved with. I was like, I would just love to work with her. So yeah, that was a bummer when she, she backed out. But, um, but I was like, if it was Mark and Emma, my life would just be complete. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, I mean, that's part of, um, you know, part of the risk of, of asking for so much money too. Right. Cause not every, you know, 500,000 is still a lot of money. Yeah. And I think that's reflected even in, uh, in Lori's offer where she was like, well, I'll give it to you as a loan. And yeah. it's like, well, I mean, you just said it yourself. That's not what you were, you know, clearly yeah. that's not what you were there for was a loan uh, deal uh, to, to, and then to still give up the 10% on top of that, or is it, yeah. so it was, yeah, was uh, 500,000, 6% for over three years, which, Hey, that's a great, I mean, that's a great deal. Like, yeah. you know, to get half a million dollars, 6%, like 
Kevin ain't giving up those guys, no. you know, that kind of, that kind of deal. Uh, but then to still have to give up the 10%, uh, would make it, would be pretty tough. But, uh, but it was great to see that, uh, that Mark did see the value in it and that he, you know, he was willing to, uh, cause obviously he has a lot more money than the rest of them. Uh, so, you know, not that 500,000 is a small amount to him, no. but it's, it, you know, t- the likeliness of him being able to give up 500,000, you know, give up 500,000 is, uh, much greater than, than from them. Cause like. It's yeah, five hundred thousand means a lot more to them than it does to him. But not that it doesn't mean anything, or that it's a little bit of money to him. Uh, but it's it's just a lot, you know. It's comparatively speaking to and, like a hundred thousand dollars. And I wonder if that's a hard thing for the sharks because, like, I feel like a lot of them are, you know, they're self-made entrepreneurs that like invested mm-hmm. their own money into their businesses and never never took maybe outside capital. I mean, I don't know, I don't know that for a fact, but I just mean like there's there's a definite. Um, you know, shift in how businesses today are growing. And a lot of it has been contingent on like VC funding and even VCs like moving into the food and beverage space where maybe it wasn't, you know, it wasn't possible to raise that kind of money a couple decades ago um, in this industry. And it's just really interesting because I feel like if I were a shark, I'd be pretty like, I feel like you guys don't even realize like, you know, I'd be like maybe a little, little peeved about that. You know, someone coming in there asking for 500,000 of their own money and they're like yeah i might be wealthy today but like man that would have been a lot of money back then when i was building my business and no one came out with you know to write me a check for 500k so i think it's it is like you have to have a little bit of um i even like even for me i'm just i realize that that's um yeah for them it's probably just kind of there's like a little cynicism about that maybe (laughs) so that that is a well, that's a really good point. I don't know about the I mean, I know that like some of them had borrowed money from like friends and family and stuff like yeah. that, but um but I want like part of the thing, part of it is though and you and and you just said it like as a as a couple like a couple quote unquote couple decades ago. I mean, consumerism really didn't hit until the 80s, like yeah. like big time consumerism, right? So so just 40 years ago is like when the 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 real big like bust of it, you know, started to come through and you didn't probably need as much money because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much of a global market and there wasn't as like competitors weren't as big as they, you know, they were still in the growth. A lot of it was still in the growth phase, uh, getting into the eighties and, and going through the eighties and especially into the nineties when consumerism like went yeah. like through the roof. Um, so I, I want like you probably didn't need as much money back then. I mean, and and inflation and all that stuff, obviously. But but you probably didn't need as much money because of the fact that the the people that were big, where there wasn't as many, uh, I guess, big players in as many big markets. Yeah. Right. So so it's like, oh, we're making chips. Okay, cool. Like how many, you know, how many big chip companies were there in 1980? or 1982 yeah. right and so eventually those the, the the winners became big winners and the smaller guys probably a lot of them got rolled up into uh slightly bigger companies or or bigger companies but not con- like the lays of the world right yeah so you know when you when you look at it like from that perspective it's like how are you going to fight a lays that has like endless gobs of money just you know, as much as money as they need to throw at it to mm-hmm. just make the problem a solution, you know, create a solution with the money. Uh, not that I'm a big fan of throwing money at every problem, but like, hey, you know, if you have the money to be able to do it, there's certain, you know, marketing things that you can do to make that happen. And 
And when you look at a lot of the markets now, it's like they have a big player or two big players. Like if you were going to start your own cell phone company, <laughs> like it's not that easy, right? I mean, we see uh, it was Ryan Reynolds with like Mint Mobile, but it's all built on the back of, uh, you know, contracting minutes and, and data from other, con- you know, from, from the big players. But it is kind of cool because I do feel like in today's world, like there is a huge opportunity where a story is starting to win again and mm. where there are so many tools to get like Shark Tank is one of them, but to get your story out there. And I think as consumers, like I know for myself as a consumer, you know, I am the pulp pantry consumer basically. And like, I care a lot about the, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, but I care a lot about now the stories behind the brands that I'm supporting, whether it's like a female founded brand or minority owned brand or someone who's really deeply passionate about sustainability and like making a difference in the world. Like those are the type of products and brands that I want to support now because I have the luxury to do so. Right. Cause in today's world, we actually, you know, we have so much more access to choice. And I think um, that's, that's what I'm excited about, I guess, is that there is a shift. I know at least in the food industry where it's like, it's not the big players. Yes, of course. Like they still have these built-in relationships with retailers. They still have the, the infrastructure and everything to support like still being a big player, but small brands are taking market share because those stories are starting to resonate. Those stories are starting to get out there. There's no control like TikTok. I mean, Instagram, Shark Tank, like there is no control over who gets access to telling their story. Um, And it's not just that you have to have a ton of money to do it. It's like it's happening organically. So I think that's a really cool thing that's happening um, in like consumer space, at least, is that, yeah, like Mint Mobile and Ryan Ryan Reynolds, like, why do they even have a market? Why are they even able to do what they're doing? Well, there's a story that's resonating there. And, you know, they're telling it in a really compelling way. I know I've seen some of their commercials and whatnot. It's just like people love that stuff, right? Like we want to be a part of something that we can talk about and that we can, um, relate to and like it's share we're sharing our own values through the products and the services that we that we buy into too so i mean i'm such a big i'm such a big advocate for that so maybe i'm a little biased but at least like (laughs) you know that's that's definitely uh where i see like the changes kind of happening taking place you know i i i you know i think it speaks to um the thing that like everything goes in cycles right like we look at clothes and styles and things like that and you know, it, it clearly it's taken a while for it to come back around. But the the advocate, you know, the advocacy of the internet, uh, I think, and the amount of people that are on the internet has enabled that to to be able to um, shift some of that. Now, whether or not those um, brands like yourself will be able to withstand the, hey, Caitlin, what what number do we need to make you go away and be able to buy your story so that we can market it? Yeah. As late? You know, what's the number, right? And there's, I mean, obviously there's companies that have stood up and, and said no, like um, in the technology space, uh, Discord or just said no to Microsoft for some, uh, I want to say a Crazy few billion stuff, dollars yeah. or something like that. But, you know, and, and that's, I mean, that's risky. But it's cool to see, like, you know, it's it's still pretty cool to be like, yeah, we 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 turned down Microsoft for a few, you know, billion dollars, and we could have just said, sure, why not? Like, we, yeah. we made our money. It's time to time to ride off into the sunset. Maybe we do a few deals or whatever later on. But, um, but yeah, I I think that the internet definitely has played a big role in that, and I like this. I I like the fact that people uh, care more about the story that, that you know um, than just the. Uh, conglomerate side of it and it's it'll be interesting to see how uh amazon i mean they've they've kind of played into that as well uh being able to like 
highlight the people's stories and stuff, even though they are also stealing people's products yes, and, and making say. their own. Yeah, no, I, I know we're not rose colored color glasses here. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, it was at that one bag company, uh, camera bag company. They actually made a commercial around the fact that Amazon had ripped off their bag. Oh my god! And, and was like, oh yeah, we, they totally like, and and they show like the bag side by side, and they're like, you know, it was it was really funny. Yeah, um, I think it's like Pinnacle bag. Hopefully, they have like a design patent or something that they could, you know. You gotta have maybe... money to be able to defend it. So you're gonna, I mean, defend, you know. Yeah, and there's so many brands that do that, like rip off people's designs, rip off the kind of exact value proposition. But it is kind of cool that brands can like roast, you know, roast these bigger guys back and be like, dude, you just stole my whole, my whole shtick. Like, I mean, that's really a horrible thing to do. But at the same time, it is, it's just, that's, a, that's the hard thing about being like someone, I, I feel like a very heart led business in a, in a, in a lot of ways. And then it's like, you realize, yeah, but we're still, you know, you're still in the game to survive. And I, I get it. It's like, man, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's just, but it's wrong. It's wrong to do that. And I, I just feel like pity shame on anyone who, you know, shame on any of these bigger brands that, that do that instead of like maybe engaging with those, um, you know, with those smaller guys and being like, how do we, you know, how do we create something that can work collaboratively here? But yeah, I mean, it's a doggy yeah. dog world out there. So <laughs> that it is, that it is. So I, so one question I had, um, I, I think, and I think I said it in the video, um, was I was surprised at how high your cost was at the time in which you, when you yeah. shot the video. Cause I'm like, you're getting the product for free. I think I, did I talk, I think I talked about the whole, um, biodiesel, example yes. where we're like oh let's go collect our own you know uh oil and we'll make our own biodiesel because we have vans across all these stores and blah 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 and yeah. that it just wasn't i mean it was going to be a huge investment in order to make that yeah. work but um but yeah I, I have you been able to get that cost down at all since since shark tank well first of all i love that biodiesel example so um gotta oh, gotta follow up on that maybe maybe <laughs> sometime down the down the road but yeah, we were able to get our costs down. I think the the challenge is that, you know, as a small brand, it's like well, the cost of our partial, some of our raw ingredients, like we don't only use pulp, obviously, to make the chips. And I don't know if that would ever, um, there'd ever be a world in which that would taste good, but we'll, we'll see if we can, <laughs> we can keep, keep trying to push towards that. You know, I'm always pushing the upper limit, let's just say, but at the end of the day, it's like, we have other, you know, we have other ingredient costs. We have the cost of doing business with a co-packer. We don't own our manufacturing right now. And, um, you know, it's just like at the end of the day, it's all comes down to how, how well are you able to negotiate like pricing volumes or your, you know, your pricing contracts. And as a small brand, like, unfortunately you don't really have a lot of leverage <laughs> to do that. So I think that's really where, um, but that's again, where like, as you're growing and, and obviously there are other costs involved with that growth and it's not always, you know, you can't always bank on your, your cost of goods dropping drastically. Um, but I, I do feel like, you know, we're getting to the place where, I mean, we're still a small business. Like, you know, we are at the time that we, um, filmed Shark Tank, we were under a million run rate and it's, it's, that's a small business in, 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 especially like in the co-packing paradigm. Right. So we just have a lot of work to do on that front to like continue to push for, um, bigger and bigger volumes that can help us to reach those cost savings and to negotiate better contracts with suppliers. But, um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because it's a balance of like your cost of goods and then obviously what a price ceiling would be. So, you know, we might not have, um, our cost of goods might be, might be high as a, a smaller brand, but 
at the same time, like I know what my price ceiling is and I, I don't want to gouge consumers just because, you know, I have to figure out that piece on the back end. But then at the same time, I want a healthy margin because at the end of the day, like in order to survive, I mean, cash is king and I can't just be, you know, we're not just like running a marketing business here, throwing money out the door. It's like, we're selling products. So it's a, it's a balance there. And, um, and yeah, we've been able to get our cost of goods down since, you know, since we filmed that episode, which is, which is great. And we're tracking, um, cost of goods after every production run and it does, it fluctuates and it's not, um, you know, we're dealing with commodities. So pricing is not always constant, but it's been, that's been a good, a good, at least like update, I guess, since, since Shark Tank. <laughs> well, yeah. I, um, if you, if you wanted to create a test product, just pulp pantry should be the yeah so yeah just just pulp now i mean i don't know how many people are going to be uh on board for the taste but it's one of those things where it's like you could potentially get people that you know uh like the stepping stones to just that you know for like the i guess a healthier option well we Um, i mean i used to do farmers markets before i even had a product i was just like let's just test a bunch of opportunities and one of the products was a cracker that i kid you not was made from like 80% probably pulp. And then it was just like flax seeds and chia seeds and everything was also raw. So this was like way back in the like beginning days. And it was pretty intense. Like, and talk about a green cracker. Like that thing is just like a, like a green cracker. It was fully, it was fully that. And, you know, at the end we were selling in like a couple local retailers. And I, I think I, um, you know, obviously doing our farmer's markets and not, and there, there were people who are like super health conscious, super health freaks that were like, this is everything, right? Because the ingredients are so clean. And um, I know that it's just like a bunch of veggies, but in a crunchy format. But at the end of the day, I kind of knew like, I, you know, I wanted to create a business that can go national and that can scale a national retail. And this isn't going to be the product to get <laughs> to get there. Like, it's <laughs> not going to do it. So, you know, taste, taste is definitely the most important. And um, that was, you know, that was a big thing. It's just like, how do you make something that is this really funky idea that is utilizing upcycled ingredients in a way that's going to have tangible impact, but still balance that with what consumer expectations are. And we're all used to eating corn chips and potato chips and, you know, potato starch based veggie chips, which is my, my big platform to stand on. And so I, you know, it's like an incremental, it's almost, yeah, it's incremental innovation. It's like, we gotta, we gotta stage people into eating, you know, incorporating more veggies and more diversity and ingredients into what we all know and love is a salty snack, you know? So that was, I think it's like a, it's a constant balance of all those different factors. Yeah, it, it is. Right. Cause I mean, you want, um, I mean, we just saw that with, um, uh, on the season finale with Polo, uh, project Polo, uh, Polo and, and how, like, you know, I, some of the people in the comments were like, well, that's not really chicken and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, well, not everybody knows, but that part of it is the marketing to get people in to try something different yeah. and go from there. Like, you know, it, you're not a green cracker might not do it, um, but yeah. it, or I mean, it could do it if you had a lot like endless money to be able to market and get people to, you know, feel a certain I, way yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, there's so many product opportunities that like we think about too. And in the reason why even launching a salty snack, it's like we could have gone a million different directions with this same core concept of like, we're sourcing from upcycled feedstocks and like these neglected ingredients that otherwise would go to waste, right? But they're, but they're still super nutritious, especially fruit, vegetable and fiber being really our focus for where we're sourcing our upcycled ingredients. And I feel like, you know, so plug that into any product X, Y, and Z category. 
and just innovating with those ingredients, innovating with better nutritionals, um, innovating with a sustainability story that that people can get behind. Like it, it could have taken so many different forms and salty snacks to me was such a compelling category because everyone's willing to try a new thing in salty snacking. Like it's a little bit harder for some of the, you know, staples that we, that we know and love that have a very traditional, like if you look at a ton of categories in the grocery store, there's not been a ton of innovation, right? Like there's a lot of places where you can point out like people, they know what they like and this is what they're buying. But in salty snacking, people are so much more adventurous. Like there's just, um, you know, there's not as much brand loyalty there. So I felt like for us to introduce a new concept and a new brand and, something that's a kind of a funky, like quirky, you know, uh, story to tell, like salty snacking is probably going to be the place where people are curious enough to be like, yeah, I'll give that a try. Like, I mean, you know, I would love to have a healthier chip in my life that still scratches that, that, you know, craveability itch, but, um, you know, has some meaningful nutrition or has better ingredients. So that was really like the impetus behind being, being kind of in the category that we, that we launched in. And hopefully we, I mean, realistically, the goal is not to stay there forever, right? Like it's like build, build a sizable, sizable business with this core product line. But I mean, I've got a million ideas about other, other products that I would love to launch. And I just, you know, right now stay, stay focused, stay the course. So I so one question that came to mind that I don't think I I don't think I brought it up in the episode. I I think thinking back when I did it, uh, it kind of was like I I was like, man, I wish I had brought this up when uh, I was recording is because of the fact that you're using different um, veggies for the pulp. Is there an issue with consistency, like from chip to chip or bag to bag or run to run? Yeah, that's the hardest thing for us. It's not actually been the pulp itself. Like we work with, you know, these big national juice brands that have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds of the byproduct every single week. And they're juicing the same things because they're selling in national retail with juice, you know, juice bottles. And um, it has to be the same formulation. Like consumers expect consistency, right? That's actually been a challenge. Like in the beginning days, I really, I was like, you know, there's a statement I want to make on one hand about the food industry and that nature doesn't, give us the same consistency, like seasonality, you know, where like growing regions, it's like, how could we build a world in which consumer products don't demand the exact same ingredients at all times of the year? So part of me was like that stubborn, you know, environmentalist that's like, I want to make a statement about that. I want to change things. And then the other side of it, it's like, but realistically, you know, do do we have consumer buy-in there? Um, So in the beginning days, like that was definitely something that I mean, just in the beginning of even building our product line, like consistency was such a challenge. Um, but now we are, we're getting to a point with our manufacturer and whatnot, where it's like you start to build more familiarity with the ingredients and with um, obviously like doing something a little bit different in the manufacturer, the current like manufacturing infrastructure. So we're getting to a place where that's been more and more attainable. But we still I mean, honestly, like we still have problems where um, like just from a I think it's more for us, the, the real challenge has been like, how do you make sure that you're you're incorporating fresh ingredients? How do we make sure we get to an end product that's crunchy and that's always like, you're always going to get the same crunch and texture from. And so that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to work on this year is, um, you know, I've had some products go out in retail where I'm like, this almost tastes like it's stale because it, it, whatever happened in the process, like we didn't we didn't ensure that the moisture levels were where we needed them to be. That was really actually a big challenge in the beginning, but we've gotten to a place now where um, the product is much more consistent and I don't have to worry about that as much. It's just, 
Um, it's just, you know, it's never going to come out. It's never going to be perfect the first few times you're doing it. And so, um, that's been a, that's been definitely a hard process of just growing the brand from like ground zero up to where it is today. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I yeah, moisture level levels. And th- I mean, I wasn't even thinking about it from a crunch standpoint. I was just thinking from a taste standpoint, cause you're, you know, using pulp the, from different yeah. places, different types of pulp, different, like, you know, different vegetables, different things like, and yeah. then making it the consistency, like, oh, there was too much carrot pulp in this one. And there was too, yeah. too much of this kind of pulp. like, you know, the mixtures of, uh, I mean, unless, I, cause are you, when you get the pulp, are you getting it like pre-mixed? I put that in air quotes. So yeah, we, I mean, if we're working with, it's actually funny. Cause like the, the, big brands that we work with, like usually they, I mean, they have a consistent formula that they have to produce and some of them will mix veggies to make their certain juices or some of them will single, like there'll be single source veggies. So we've tested both. And honestly, like with the chips, the nice thing is that doesn't really leave that much variability in flavor. So we could do like a single source celery or a single source kale, and it's not going to impact taste so much. And right now, actually what we're doing is a blend. So we do have a blend of like the, the, it's, um, you know, leafy green lettuces. So like with spinach, kale, romaine, celeries and their cucumbers in there. And um, I think having that blend of veggies has been nice because it allows us to have more flexibility when, with our sourcing partners. Like, you know, we can source any one of those items and it will fit into our ingredient panel. But for the most part, like we, we do use the blends that um, you're never getting like too much of one flavor in there. So there was definitely a lot of work that we did in the beginning with that too. But um, we're, we're in a place now where like you can really expect a consistent product with, um, with every, you know, every bag of pulp chips that you get. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause like one to like a tomato getting thrown in there with all of us would most likely take over, yeah. you know, the flavoring of it and or the coloring of it. Um, and, and it, you know, it makes it very, um, unpredictable from that, from that perspective, but, yeah. um, but no, that, that's great to hear. Cause yeah, that definitely, like I said, after I forget, it wasn't long after I finished recording that crossed my mind. Like, how do you get it to be the same if it's, always being sourced from a different place, like different places and, and different yeah. um, veggies and things. I know. But, that's but I cool. agree with you on the whole, like, you know, let's just get it so that it's a thing. And like, um, we can be as sustainable as possible and, right. and utilizing as much as possible, just like, you know, nature does utilizes, uh, yeah. you know, leaves nothing to waste, you know, at the end of the day, like it, exactly. pretty much everything goes to fertilize the ground or, so, you know, it's all being utilized. And that's the thing. Like we now we have access to so much volume where we can ensure consistency in what we're sourcing. But at the end of the day, like it's kind of, hey, we want to create the flexibility for our suppliers because we're trying to do the most good on that front. Right. Like we're trying to do the most to collect this upside, these upcycled ingredients that would that would otherwise be un- underutilized. And so a part of it was like in building the products, like how can we build products that already have like allow us to have that flexibility and still deliver an amazing product to consumers. So um, that's been a big, like, that's kind of been a big, yeah, a big standpoint and a big thing for us in the product development process of like making sure that we can, um, you know, that we can have flexibility on the inputs, but consistency on the output. So obviously it's, there's a lot of work that goes in between that, <laughs> that whole process too. And I, I guess my my other question uh, that came to mind was was with the, some of these bigger brands that have access to their own pulp. Like, is there any? Do you feel any pressure that, or has there been any um, competition that that maybe has come from those bigger brands yet? 
Because I mean, like you're the the settlers, right? Like you're yeah. the first one. If you're like one of the first ones out the door, then you're the first ones to find out all the problems. And then you know, like a like a I think Pepsi owns like V8, who like is making yeah. the juice. So like, if they already yeah. have access to the pulp, like you know, what's the stop? And they have the access to the chip factory too, because they got lazy. Yeah, so like, what's exactly. to stop them from like upcycling their own, their own stuff, which, Hey, overall upcycling is great, but not great from a, you know, keeping a, a business perspective. Yeah. Well, I think that's been interesting because for us, like the sourcing partners, you know, these are people who have specialized and, and focused on like juice and beverage. And so for them, it's really like it would be a big investment of resources and capabilities in order to produce a dry good. And I think they're more excited about, you know, hey, this is like a cost center for us now. If you can take it and we can like make some money off you. Great. You know, and I think yeah. I think even though these brands are big, they're not that big where they're willing. They're not like, a you know, these aren't like a free delay that's has the capabilities to produce their own um you know, their own products. But I think at the same, same time, like we have talked to some of our, our kind of strategic sourcing partners, if you will, about like, what could it look like to do a co-branded or co-developed line or even a white label or private label line? And that's actually something I'm really open to because like, mm. I want to be able to use the resources and like the learnings that we've had in the journey to obviously, again, maximize that impact. And if we can, you know, if we can help other brands with the uh, if they're having a large source of like byproduct or a waste stream that they need help with like i want to be able to be you know a key player in this space that can help them to problem solve and think about think more creatively about how to best utilize those resources so i think there's definitely something there with like the partnership and and whatnot so um yeah i i, I feel like that's it's just but it is like the balance of just obviously you know um keep your friends close keep your enemies closer i don't know <laughs> it's just <laughs> No. It reminds me of um, Chapul and like how they went from like, oh, we're going to make the bars to we actually made more money just, you know, growing the, the crickets yeah. and making the flour and selling that and letting somebody else do the, the you know, the hard part of marketing and, and all yes. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, not not to say that you, you have to or would definitely go in that direction, but I, I think that uh being open-minded to the idea of like hey you know if i if you gain enough partnerships right and you yeah. you gain enough opportunity like uh a pulp a mass enough pulp uh it, you know to be able to distribute it to to other places and do that kind of thing like that becomes super valuable on the sense of just the relationships and the being able to pass you know pass money through uh in that way yeah. without having to go directly to market on everything that you do so it's another opportunity for somebody else to you know, uh, shoulder that, that marketing, uh, that marketing cost. Cause at the end of the day, like, that's a lot of what it is. It's a marketing cost. I mean, yes. And that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like brand building is, um, you know, brand building is so different from the actual operations and like the ingredient sourcing and the process development that goes, goes there. But that's, what's kind of cool about building a business is that you, it's, you're not a one trick pony. Like we, you know, we have our, our sourcing arm and the, the unique elements of what goes into like our own sourcing process and our partnerships and how we build those partnerships. But then on the other end, we also do have our own brand and we do have our own like, you know, voice. And it's not just something that's happening behind the scenes, but we have a way that we can, you know, communicate that with our, with our customers too. So I think like, I'm excited as we build more resources and more 
you know, get build an amazing team to be on board and build more sourcing partnerships. Like I think there's the element of, you know, what happens on the operational, like the operational side that there's unique elements that we can build onto that. And then of course, building the brand and, and kind of the product platform, like or the brand platform of what other products can we launch and um, how are we building like our own relationship with our, with our own consumer base. So that's like, the, that's the cool thing. It's like, there's no, there's no rules, you know, there's no rules. We can, we can really, I mean, we're, we're in this unique, like, you know, subset of our own world in the food industry. And we're learning so much and gathering so much insight from just doing that day-to-day -day work and collaboration that like other people don't, you know, there's opportunities that we can see that maybe other people don't, don't see. And so I, I feel like that's, you're constantly innovating, constantly changing. You, you know, we're never, we're never stagnant. We're, we're constantly implementing like new learnings into how we're building the business. So yeah, I think, I think that you're, I mean, you're spot on with just like, there's a ton of different ways to kind of think about it and to grow your brand and all that's good stuff too. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. Staying flexible. Absolutely makes sense. So uh, let's uh, get to, you, you leave the tank, you got yourself a deal. Uh, you d apparently didn't have a long way to drive home because uh, you live in LA and it's it was yeah. in LA this year or, or last year, I should say. Uh, and uh, so what, what came next for you? Like what, did you did you um and did you get nervous when you were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the episode to like finally you get to be told because you won't get you know three weeks notice and you were at like the you know second to last third third to last episode yeah last episode, I know so, it was uh, <laughs> it was definitely like I would be bummed if it didn't air you know after going through the work and feeling like you walked out and you are like, I was excited. I knew that we had to, I mean, I had such a good time in the tank. I was like, I just feel, I feel like um, getting that story out. And of course there's bits and pieces that were important to me, maybe that didn't air. Um, and, you know, store like story elements that didn't air. But at the end of the day, I was like, Oh, what an amazing opportunity that was. And, you know, I hope I get a, I get to share it with the world too. But, um, but yeah, I think when you get that, like, so I definitely had actually at a certain point kind of lost, not lost hope, but I just, in my head, I was like, yeah, this is probably not going to air, is it? <laughs> and so you have that realization. You're like, yeah, you know, the chances are looking slimmer and slimmer every day. Um, but at a certain point, like obviously getting the message that we were going to be on, that, that honestly made it even sweeter. Because I was like, oh, at that point, I had already kind of thought like, shoot, man, it's not going to go. It's not going to go up there. But then um, it happened. And it was just a mad, to be honest, like in we don't have to get into all of this, but it was three weeks was really not enough time to prepare, um, especially for us to do, like to build up inventory. And so, you know, after it was kind of a bittersweet moment where it's like, oh, my gosh, we're actually airing. This is amazing. But at the same time, we were already experiencing supply chain delays. And I the realization really hit me after that first week of knowing that we were going to air where I was like, yeah, this is actually going to be kind of a mess for us because we're experiencing delays from some of our suppliers that are going to, you know, make this kind of a mess after it airs. And if, if we do really well, and you know, a lot of people are, it's the story's resonating and there are a lot of people are buying, like it's, it's going to be, it might be a little bit of <laughs> a cleanup situation, which it definitely has been. So it's really challenging. And I wish that they were able to give us more time and more warning, but I understand also that for them, you know, they're, they're waiting through a massive amount of, of episodes and they're editing like, you know, throughout the rest of the, the year and making sure that everything can, 
you know, make it on schedule. And so for them, like they might not even really have that much more leeway that they can give us to, to let us know. So um, it was a bittersweet moment to be like, it's happening. And then be like, oh my God, but it's also a disaster. The timing. <laughs> but there's nothing you can do to control it. You know, when you're airing, you're airing and you don't get a say as an, as the entrepreneur. So it happens when it happens. And, um, and yeah, so it's just been, it's been pretty wild ever since we're still playing catch up right now. And finally this week will be kind of when we get caught up and back to some normalcy in the business, but man, it is, it was a wild ride and it, it did, it did really well. And, um, you just don't even know what to expect going into it. Yeah. As you said, you had a, a, a small watch party with, uh, your family and, so, and some friends, which is nice that you were yeah. able to, uh, to do that. And, uh, is your, your, your deal, is it still under due diligence or is it closed yet? We're still under due diligence. Exactly. But we've been working with his team and, um, you know, like I, they're, they're not like close to their chest. Like the deal has to go through for you to, you know, start collaborating with everyone. So I've been really lucky because I, you know, for the past like six months, they've been, they've been all hands on deck. Like, you know, we send updates and what we need help with or whatever else. And they're really hands on, like whether it's on the sales front, whether it's just like being a support on the operations front. I mean, um, preparing for like obviously the episode airing and all that. So I feel like there, there's still kind of that camaraderie that's there. Um, even though we're, we are still going through the diligence process and all that. And as far as the future goes, I know we need to wrap up here in a second. Um, as far as the future goes, is there anything you haven't talked about for the future of uh, pulp pantry that you, you can, uh, shed some light on? Well, um, right now it's really just, again, like setting that foundation. I think, you know, as a, as a growing brand, um, I mean, realistically, like if our story resonated, we're, we're hiring people who especially have that food and beverage experience and, you know, want to join, want to join on to the bandwagon of what we're doing. Like, so that's, that's definitely an open, um, open opportunity there. And I think future of the brand, I mean, obviously upcycled foods has so much potential, especially with like when we think about um, the low hanging fruit with addressing climate change. And so I hope that more and more people really like one of the messages I wanted to get out that didn't really make it onto the airing was just how much like each of us as consumers really does contribute to this overall problem of food waste. And, um, and I, I don't know that how much people really know about that issue, but it's like food waste going to the landfill is one of the leading contributors to methane gas emissions, which is a major greenhouse gas. And so for me, that's been a really important um, thing about what Pulp Pantry is building is how can this story also inspire p individual people to kind of take action in their own homes? Um, so that's something that like just for the future of the business as, as we're building the brand, you know, we're trying to share more and more resources, whether it's recipes on our blog or you know, recipes on our social or recipes on our YouTube channel. Um, you know, we, we really want to build more of that infrastructure too, so that it's not just, Hey, we're out here selling a product, but it's like, how can everyone be part of that, that fight and that, that mission too. So um, I think that's just an exciting thing to, to stay plugged into as well. Yeah. I mean, getting people involved definitely helps them feel invested, invested in the brand and the mission uh, yeah. and takes them along for the journey. So I, I definitely, I uh, think that it's important that you get that uh, that messaging out there in the different ways that we have available to us uh, to make that happen. So, yeah, exactly. uh, Caitlin, before we wrap up here, thank you so much for being here. Um, how can people get their own Pulp Pantry chips? Well, on the West Coast, so on the West Coast, we're in um, Whole Foods and Target. 
Thrive Market is a national, you know, online retailer. You can buy from Hive Brands, also a national kind of direct-to-consumer retailer you can purchase from. Um, and then, you know, if you're someone who, I, I mean, I always love, come directly to our site because, you know, for us, like the biggest thing is having that relationship, I think, with our customers. And especially when we're launching new product innovation, it's so that's been the first place that we go, obviously, is to people on our website. We're working on three new flavors right now. And so um, actually a big thing is like all the people that have purchased from Shark Tank and whatnot, um, you know, those are going to be the first people that we send out samples to to try new products. So um, I'm always biased towards just being like, just come come to our site and let's, you know, let's build that relationship directly because otherwise we never, you know, we don't get to know who the amazing people are behind the brand and, and supporting the brand. So that's 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 what I'm <laughs> that's what I'm biased towards sending people to our website for sure. And what's that website address? And it's pulppantry.com. Great, great, great. And you absolutely should. Again, Caitlin, thank you so much for your time. I know it's been like two hours that we've gotten to chat today. Uh, so I greatly appreciate it. It's been, been wonderful. Love to have you back anytime uh, here on the show. Uh, so thank you. Thank you again. Thanks for having us, Joe. And, and thanks again for covering the episode and doing what you do. I think it's amazing. And it's an amazing resource for other people, too. Oh, well, thank you. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. And I greatly appreciate you watching till the very end here. Well, if you haven't watched Caitlin's pitch, watch up here. If not, I'll see you in the video down below. Take care and go be super. Amazing. Bye, Joe.